afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another in our series about the path forward, figuring out how we can return to work. As we say, we know that a return to work means a return to life. It means going back to worship and volunteer and shop and have weddings. And so as eager as we are to do that, while the medical officials are dealing with the public health crisis, as business leaders, we want to be preparing to mitigate as much of this economic crisis as we can. When we get that yellow light to proceed with caution back to work, we're ready to go. In this series, we've interviewed a Harvard epidemiologist about the broad curves of the pandemic. We've also done a deep dive into testing. As we all know, testing will be a crucial part of reopening the workplace. Today, we dive into another crucial topic, the essential service of childcare. For many parents, returning to work will only be possible once they have access to reliable childcare. And what will that look like in the next phase? Can we, assimply, can we assume we just go right back? The short answer, of course, is no. In a phased in gradual return to work where some degrees of social distancing are still prevalent, it's gonna be some time before we're fully resumed our old way of life, especially in areas like childcare. In just one aspect that we've been thinking about, if you think of childcare services needing to add professionals for safety protocols, at the same time that with social distancing, they may be able to accept fewer children, you could have fewer childcare centers open. What does that mean for parents? What does it mean for those businesses? How do we ensure that childcare providers have the resources and the ability to endure this strain and serve not just essential workers, but really the entire workforce? These are the kinds of practical questions that will confront both workers and employers as we prepare for the next phase. And we're really lucky today to have with us two experts, two really important voices in the industry to help us think about it. We're delighted to welcome Tom Wyatt, who is the CEO of KinderCare. KinderCare provides high quality private early education to more than 180,000 children at 2,300 locations across the country. Tom has a nationwide perspective that's really gonna help us understand the scale of this crisis. We're also pleased today to be joined by Leslie Crawford, who is the owner and director of ABK Learning and Development Center. The Pittsburgh Center that Leslie runs has won acclaim for pioneering a 24-7 care model. It's a learning model that serves parents who don't just work nine to five, such as healthcare workers. Needless to say, her center has been at the front line for workers during this crisis, and we look forward to hearing her perspective as well. Throughout this conversation, I encourage you to post your questions in the chat feature. We'll bring in audience questions throughout. So, First, let me turn to Tom Wyatt. So how are your operations different than they were six or eight weeks? Uh, they've changed immensely. Even the number of centers that we have open today, what, what we ended up doing uh, back the week of uh, March 23rd, uh, as we felt the impact, obviously the first week of the week of March uh, the 16th. And by the end of that week, we closed 75% of our centers. Uh, but in doing so, what we, intended to do was strategically look at all the centers that could be left open that would serve essential workers, whether it was healthcare workers, whether it was supply chain, a grocery store, uh, whatever need there was for uh, families uh, that were still working and still providing services to all of us, uh, we felt that was the right thing to do. So we left a number of our centers open. 
Uh, and we have every week since then, we've looked at those centers to see, are they being utilized? Is it working out? Um, and uh, quite frankly, we're very pleased with how that has worked. Now that's the centers as, as a whole. When you talk about the actual uh, inside of a center, it's changed dramatically. Obviously, with the opportunity for social distancing and, and certainly following the protocol of the CDC, <clears throat> we have uh, changed a lot of our operations. The good news is early childhood education uh, is a very thoughtful, sanitized area to begin with. We always promote uh, numerous hand-washing uh, experiences for children all day and certainly the teachers as well. So all of that exists. Uh, but in these times, we we want to double down on all of that. So uh, our centers have changed uh, a number of ways. One, uh, the amount of occupancy that we can have in one of our centers is dramatically shifted. Our, our centers, on average, you can put about 120, 130 children in one. Uh, and today, uh, the, the most we can get in a center because of social distancing and being sure that uh, everyone is safe and secure in the center we're right at 45 to 55 uh, children that we can fit into a center. Uh, we also always had our parents come straight to the classroom, drop their child off. Uh, and today they actually leave the child at the door. Uh, they don't go into the classroom. We check their temperature, obviously check their child's temperature. Uh, and then we uh, uh, take the child to the classroom. Uh, all of our teachers and all of our support uh, staff in the center is wearing a mask, is wearing gloves, is wearing uh, a piece of clothing, uh, covering their clothing to ensure uh, that they stay protected because uh, that's important as well. And uh, all of this, uh, quite frankly, um, has you know changed our ability to, to manage the capacity of the center and, uh, and the number of children. The last thing I'd say to you relative to how the center has changed is that we uh, felt it was very, very important, uh, really uh, accentuating uh, the work that we're doing on health and safety was to put a second center director in every one of our centers. Uh, so we literally took a center director that was in one of the centers that we closed uh, and asked them if they would be uh, kind enough to go to another center, essential center, uh, and actually perform the duties of health and safety. So they're going from room to room to ensure they're sanitized properly, that children are uh, practicing social distancing, that teachers are wearing what they need to be wearing, what have you. So that's been a, uh, a really good thing for us, but obviously an additional cost uh, nonetheless. Wow, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. You know. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I wonder if the kids get freaked out seeing everybody in gloves and masks. Have you got? Have you heard any feedback about that? I have, and they don't. Uh, they now. I will tell you, I've got pictures of teachers where children are pulling the mask off of their face because they don't <laughs> want them to wear it. Uh, but no, the children. The children. Uh, they know their surroundings. They know their teacher. They know. Uh, where they are. And, you know, what we're trying to do every single day is create the most normal uh, conditions and experiences for children as we possibly can. Because one of our worries, candidly, is, is after this is over, we talk about learning loss, but we also, we're concerned about uh, mental challenges after this uh, event is uh, uh, coming to an end. So, 
they have not been um, at all freaked out to say that term. Uh, and they've uh, understood that we were doing things differently. I was talking to Leslie earlier and I said that uh, some of our kids are actually having fun doing the elbow uh, kind of uh, goodbye instead of the big hugs and kisses that we always expect from our children in our centers. So we're, we're practicing the right things and we're making it fun. You could tell I asked the mom question first. I ask a, a business owner question. As somebody who used to own a business, I'm also seeing the dollar signs in my head as you're talking. I can think of the increased cost of all of that equipment, and and yet at the same time, the, the huge decrease in revenue and having these centers closed. Can you talk to us for a minute about the financial sustainability in all of this? Uh, that's a challenge. You know, candidly, we are at a place right now, after the second week, we were at 80% uh, reduction in overall top line revenue, 80%. And going into May, we'll be closer to 90% uh, off of our high of March the 13th, uh, Friday the 13th of March. Um, so it's difficult. And, and candidly, uh, the sustainability of our company and of the industry is at risk. Uh, and that's something that we are working with government officials on right now. But to this point, we really haven't uh, seen much support from there, but, but a lot of interest and a lot of uh, people trying to help us out. But uh, the cost in the center has gone up significantly. And, and I will tell you that even at 30 and 40% uh, uh, of uh, capacity, uh, those centers are losing money every day. Uh, but we believe, and we still believe, uh, the right thing to do is to support the essential workers, be sure the essential workers have an opportunity to do the great work that they do uh, for all of us. Uh, and we are convinced we're going to get through this, and we are. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, how long it takes and uh, what uh, financial support we may get along the way, and uh, we're, we're optimistic. Well, I think you have reason to be optimistic, and I know at the U.S. Chamber, we're eager to see uh, industries like yours receive additional assistance because the bridge back to normalcy will be longer for industries like yours that require higher density than the regulations will allow right now. But also, you're part of the bridge back to normalcy, so you can count on our support. Let me ask you a question about, and then I want to bring Leslie in. I have two, two questions. One is... Um, when do you imagine being able to get up and running again? Is it as simple as a local or state government official allowing the daycare centers to open? I mean, I would imagine there's pent up demand and people who want to get back to work and you're doing so many good things to keep the kids health and safety front of mind that the demand is there. So what does it take for you to reopen in a gradual way? The, the the key word there is gradual, and, and candidly, that's actually in our favor. As, as you can imagine, opening thousands of centers in one day would be uh, impossible. Um, so we have actually spent the last three weeks, uh, considering this is the beginning of week five and we've been through, uh, excuse me, week six, uh, we've been through five weeks of this. We turned in week three to, okay, what do we need to do to prepare to reopen these centers? What do we need to do to have the right uh, safety protocols in place? By the way, these center directors are not a part of our essential centers, so they've been at home 
So we've got to train all those folks. We've got to train the teachers uh, in the new uh, protocols. Uh, we have to understand the capacity of a given uh, center and under the new cent uh, social distancing and other uh, protocols, we got to be sure that we handle it the proper way. So uh, that it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, event. We know it's going to go down by state, we believe. I, I, uh, we hear that. We hear about the Northeast Corridor, the seven states there, obviously the uh, Pacific Northwest with California, uh, Oregon, and, and Washington may be two areas that are uh, coming uh, to a, a point of more clarity, uh, even though it still may be weeks uh, before either one open up. But we feel like uh, the approach that we will take will be one that we bring in uh, a few weeks in advance of when we believe a state should come uh, to, uh, to be open. Uh, and then we start preparing ourselves. We buy the PPE. We buy the. Uh, we start the uh, uh, the actual uh, uh, learning and, and teaching of these uh, folks. We have uh, we have educational approach that we are doing to be sure that we are prepared because these centers are going to open one day, and a family is going to walk in and they want to be sure that all of that is intact day one. That's not something we can. Uh, you know, transform into. It needs to be in place uh, the day that center opens. So it's going to be a challenge, but the fact that the uh, country will go back in waves is actually a benefit to us, uh, but we still have states, quite frankly, Suzanne, uh, where we have 150, 160 centers uh, that we may be opening at one time. Uh, and what I can tell you is, and I was on a, a video this morning, what I can tell you is that we won't open a single center unless it is across the board uh, met all the criteria that we believe a essentially safe center can meet. We may find ourselves opening some centers in a state and maybe taking another week or two to open others uh, just to be sure that uh, the protocols are met and the standards are, are high. No, of course. Of course, you'll be responsible business owners about that. It's really, you know, you mentioned PPE as part of that. Do you, um, are you having any trouble getting a hold of the necessary PPE? Not so far. We we have, uh, we, we did have problems early on with thermometers. Uh, we had thermometers, obviously, in our schools, but we wanted the forehead thermometer to, to because of efficiency and what have you. Uh, so we did struggle for a week or two getting those. Uh, but we've actually been spending the time on the apparel piece, on the gloves and the masks. Uh, and we feel like in the next three or four weeks that we will have built up uh, an inventory that as we open centers, uh, that we can literally, we pre-pack it. And we literally are going to take each of these packages as a part of the, just like food, crayons, chalk, uh, whatever we need to do, uh, disinfectants, whatever we need to do in the centers, uh, we are pre-preparing those for that rollout. It's remarkable. Who would have thought inventory control would become so important at Kindercare? Uh, let me ask you one last question before we turn to Leslie, and then then I'll bring you back in for some more Q and A. My last question for you right now is, you know, as we talk to industries and and businesses of all sizes across the country about the path forward, about the return to work, one of the things we keep saying is there are a lot of people who never left, and what can we learn from them? So, if you take your kinder care hat off, what as a 
business CEO, as a business owner, what would you tell your colleagues and peers in other industries? What's the learning then from staying open in this time? Well, it's been interesting. We we feel like that we've created, uh, we've already created the new normal in these 450 centers, and we are performing well. Uh, families are very comfortable that their children are in a safe and secure environment. Uh, we have been very pleased with the behaviors and the sentiment of our teachers uh, and their incredible passion around uh, educating these children and giving them that normalcy that they need to need need to have. So we feel we feel good about the operational side of our business. I will also tell you that I've been incredibly impressed and grateful uh, to our home office. Uh, those people are, that office is closed and these people are working at home just as you and I are. And they are supporting these centers, 450 centers around the country in a magnificent way. And we have had just really incredible support uh, through IT, through our HR department, through through every department, education, our curriculum. Our education team has done a phenomenal job uh, preparing, uh, if you will, at-home exercises for the children and academic uh, things that are on our website, uh, which now we'll never not have those because we believe in it. And, and parents have been so grateful for it. So what I'd say to you is, as we always are, we're resilient. We are a very resilient uh, world uh, and and country. Uh, and when we're thrown a curveball, we we catch it and we and we uh, pivot. And we've done that. And we're pleased with how we've come out of it. Well, it's a really impressive story. So turning to Leslie now, let me start with the same question I asked Tom, which is, how is your business different than it was six or eight weeks ago? Um. It's different in the sense that we don't have all of our um, kiddos there um, and we don't have all of our staff there. Um, and so in that regard, it's different. We've always catered to our non-traditional workers or essential workers, those people who work in the hospitals or, um, you know, first responders and different things like that. So it, it's different in the sense that it's just not who we would normally have on a day-to-day -day basis or, or, you know, traditional workers aren't there. So it's different in that sense. So I understand you started your business because you had a family member in healthcare. Is that right? Yes. Yes. My daughter is actually, um, she went to school to be a CNA. Um, and most of the shifts that she was able to get were actually either a three to 11 or 11 to seven. Um, a lot of those daylight -like positions were taken up by people that had seniority. So she was stuck in that type of a place or a position and not just her, several of her friends as well. Um, and as a result of that, there was just a need based on her and her friends that we should probably do something that would accommodate them um, non-traditionally. There's other who worked for the hospital who had to be to work at five o'clock in the morning. Well, most centers aren't open at five. Um, so having a center that would be open 24 hours, we would be able to support her in that. And so she was able to enroll her children um, in our center in that regard. And so I think you touched on this, but just doubling down on it for a second, the types of workers who use your center in normal times, is that changed in terms of the types of workers who need you now, or is it your same client base? It's my same client base. Mm -hmm. um, I have, so we, we 
take, we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have people that work in hospitals, we have restaurant and hospitality workers. So we have a lot of variance in terms of, you know, who we sort of provide care for, but our main um, support comes from, or our main clientele comes from, you know, non-essential work, non-essential workers. When we talk about reopening in some ways, mm -hmm. um, are you worried about flare-ups that, that occur with healthcare workers first and, and kind of that they have potentially more limited childcare op, you know, options? And so how are you thinking about reopening and, and possible flare-ups? Um, I'm concerned about that. We And Tom and I had, we've talking about a whole gamut of different things, but um, knowing that my essential workers are those people that are on the front lines and they're, you know, coming face to face with, you know, this pandemic and that COVID-19, we have a serious concern and issue about, you know, integrating those children with our other kiddos and how that would, you know, how that's going to look. So we are just definitely trying to put a plan in place. We've thought of just like everything, having um, the way that parents enter our center, the, you know, we're taking, just like Tom, we're taking everybody's temperatures. We take staff temperatures. We take everybody's temperatures. Um, we want to do that with non-touch thermometers. So we've even bought new thermometers because we don't want to touch anybody. We want to make sure that we are looking for the health and safety of not just the kiddos that are coming, but their parents that are elsewhere and what they could potentially bring into the center to us and making sure that, you know, we want to have things for them to put on their feet when they walk in so that they're not tracking things in. So we're, we're just trying to do a lot of things, even, even considering putting a sink outside the door for folks to wash their hands just before they actually even enter the center so that we're sort of like safeguarding and protecting um, ourselves and, and the kids that they would be bringing in. I'm eventually going to ask Tom the same question, but do you imagine prices rising after all this? And this feels like a big increase in cost. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Um, Childcare is already um, costly, so I can't even imagine. I, I would think that some places would have to. I'm going to pray that I don't have to. I want to pray that, you know, that we're going to get some financial support that I'll be able to maintain and sustain what I've already have in place so that I don't have to raise prices so that my parents aren't struggling just to, you know, make ends meet to pay for a care. Um, it's already a horrendous process already as it as it stands. So to add more cost onto that, um, there would be a lot of parents that wouldn't be able to afford care at all. Are you at all worried about liability or legal risk at this time? If somebody were to get sick, uh, how are you thinking about that? Of course, of course. You, you, if you're not thinking about that, something's wrong with you. Of course, I'm thinking about that. But I'm also putting new policies in place too, because you have to. You, with this whole change, you have to put policies in place that's going to sort of like protect you from from things that could potentially happen. And then speaking with your, you know, your insurance agent about how you do that, and speaking to your lawyer about the specific wording that needs to be in position in place for you to do that, so that you can safeguard yourself. I'm like a small center. I don't have, you know, like this huge corporate backing. So I, I have to do a lot of these things, you know, simply, but in order to protect me, you know, for the longevity of it. So that's definitely something that we consider all the time. You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago when I was talking to Tom about being a former small business owner myself, and I think it's really remarkable how most people don't understand all of the things that go into 
running a business. You know, it's not just the childcare and taking care of the kiddos, as you call it so delightfully, um, or the education or training that Tom mentioned, you know, but all of the health and safety and inventory and legal and cost. And I mean, it's, it's just remarkable. So if you, if you put all of that in a big bucket and, you know, God willing, we're through this a year from now. Do you imagine that there have been long-term changes to your business over this? What does business look like a year from now? A year from now? Well, first of all, a year from now, I hope I'm even in business um, mm. because the reality of it is that, you know, I may not be um, just based on the whole financial aspects of it and, and what we're already losing. Um, I'm currently paying all my employees, even though nobody's there. I'm at, it's not like I got the money stacked up anywhere, but I want to make sure that when I, you know, when this is over, I at least have staff to come back to. I got some great people and I don't want to lose them. So I'm trying to make sure that I can at least keep that shored up. So that's not one thing that I befall when this whole thing is over. But I'm hoping that, um, you know, we get some type of backing, some type of support that at least will help me, you know, in the short term. Um, and then and then moving forward in the long term, it, it's, it, we're not going to open up. Um, like Tom said, it's not going to be like a quick, oh yeah, we're open and then things are going to be back to normal. It's going to be a slow and steady progress process for us to do that. Um, and so I'm going to need support in order for me to do that. And some that looks financial for the most part. So a year from now, I'm hoping that, you know, we have um, garnered enough support for me to be able to open and gradually open and to sustain all the things that I've, I've had in place prior and, and eventually get back to it. Leslie, was your company eligible for the Payroll Protection Act? Did you were you able to apply for funding? And we were eligible, and as quickly as we could get everything together to apply for it, it was quickly gone. Mm -hmm. um, so, unfortunately for me, I was not able to apply for it. Um, but hopefully, they will add more to it, and then I'll be able to apply if, if they should open up, um, add more money, and open it up again. Well, get get your paperwork ready. We're optimistic. Oh, I'm I'm ready. I'm my paperwork <laughs> is ready. I already had it ready, but so I'm ready. Um, you know, speaking of that, Tom, of course, with the size of Kinder Care, you weren't eligible for PPE. What could business do to best support or provide relief for childcare centers, knowing that it's the underpinning of kind of getting everybody back to work? Uh, uh, there are a number of things that, that we are talking to uh, government about. One of them is obviously the Title IV uh, funds that are still uh, available. Uh, we would like to get access to those uh, in the form of a loan. <clears throat> and uh, we're working with uh, legislatures every day uh, trying to get that in place. There are there are covenants that are restricting our ability to be a part of that. Uh, and just talking about SBA for just a minute, uh, there is a NAICS code, it's uh, 6244, I believe, um, and that code would allow uh, our uh, industry to participate at a single uh, center level uh, to uh, get uh, into the uh, PPP plan and all of that. So we're, we're still uh, hopefully uh, have an opportunity to do that as well. Um, the other thing that we are talking to uh, legislatures about is, and you mentioned this, Suzanne, it's one thing to for Leslie and I to live through this uh, and get to the other side. It's another thing to literally support uh, 
the centers uh, in the right way with a higher cost model. Uh, and um, that's going to take a long time. That's going to take six, nine months uh, of us uh, literally adding more expense to our centers in a world where they're not up to their capacities or occupancy uh, historicals. Uh, so we are also asking uh, legislatures for their help after this is over with some kind of grant, some kind of thing that, yes, we're concerned right now because we're still paying rent, we're still paying health care for even uh, our workers that are no longer uh, on uh, in a center or on our payroll, uh, and we're paying light bills, we're paying all of that stuff. You know, the, the business continues to go even though tuition is no longer there. But our, our second and really a, a greater concern long-term is what does this model look like uh, in six months? You asked this question of Leslie. What does it look like in nine, 10, 11, 12 months from now? What will be the cost? And, and Leslie is exactly right. This is a very big expense for families already. And one of our concerns, uh, candidly, and another uh, thing that we've talked to legislators about is one thing to have the child care block grant uh, for, for uh, and it's a very appropriate thing to do, uh, have that for uh, the lower income levels of our country, and it, it works very well. One third of uh, Kindercare's uh, uh, attendance uh, is children uh, from that demographic. Uh, but the other two-thirds are paying our full fee, uh, and many of those have lost their job during this time. Many of those have been furloughed, and you know, as we look at coming back out of this and getting back people back to work, how do we how do we prepare those families who are as financially stressed as others? How do we prepare them financially uh, to come back and to be in a position to afford childcare? No, I think that's a great point. And I worry that there are employers watching this who are thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? There was, you know, a lack of good child care before, or, you know, the supply wasn't as strong as it could have been. Now it's going to happen when I try to bring my employees back. And, you know, Leslie, what would you say to an employer in your area who's watching this and thinking, oh my gosh, where are my healthcare workers going to take their kids? Um, I would tell them that they really need to just stay involved with um, early childhood and, and a lot of the initiatives that, you know, that are constantly occurring and reoccurring and, and making sure that they're in tune with those. Um, that's where the, the whole concept and, and nature of child care is created um, and constantly being worked on. And so they should be following that and being participants in it so that they can assure that these child care centers, the ones that their employees are going to need, are open and available when they definitely need it. We're getting some uh, questions from the audience here. Let me ask you a couple of them. Tom, let me start with you. And Leslie, I'm going to ask you the same question so you, sure. you get more time to think of the answer. Uh, Tom, the question is, are you concerned about staff being afraid to return to work, uh, you know, especially if they're at higher risk of COVID-19? And how do you think about managing that? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, and quite frankly, when we kept our 450 centers open, Suzanne, we actually went to every single employee in those centers and said, look, you may have somebody at home that is uh, compromised health-wise. You may have, uh, you may yourself be. 
compromised health-wise, and we want you to stay here, but at the same time, we want you to be comfortable with that. So every one of our, we have 9,400 teachers that are working today, and all 9,400 of those chose uh, to work in our centers um, and to be a part of the essential network that we built. Um, there is concern uh, because as we did that, there were other teachers and other staff that came to us and said, look, you know, my husband's had a stroke or, or my husband uh, suffered from cancer or uh, a number of things that that scare them about contracting uh, uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and going uh, through that. Uh, both personally and professionally. So it is a concern. Uh, it's a major concern for us. I will say this though, and I'm, I'm sure Leslie will agree with me. Uh, our teachers are mission-based. Uh, they so love what they do and who they do it for. Their classroom is, is their home. And uh, if they're physically capable of coming back to work, they will. Uh, I can tell you that we have not had a single center uh, in the country. Of all these 450 centers that are open today, every single one of those is not only fully staffed, but staffed on top of that to cover the needs of the uh, CDC protocols that we have in place. So, so far, um, we have been very blessed with a workforce that cares deeply about what they do. Uh, they're exceptional at it, uh, and I, I couldn't I couldn't be prouder of them. That's and great. I would have to say the same, Tom, that my staff definitely um, had concerns and still have concerns. A lot of them have children that, you know, that were actually in in, in the center, too. And so um, there's a concern coming back, you know, that how is this going to impact them, you know, moving forward. But they are passion driven. And so even though they do have that fear and they're concerned, they still want to get back to work. And that's that's their main thing. When are they going to get back to work? But the choice to work was also given to them. I didn't force anything on anybody. I, I asked if you were comfortable, if you were okay with it, if you felt strong about it, that you come to work. And if you didn't, there was not going to be any repercussions as a result of it. And they still receive their money irregardless. Um, and, and that shows a commitment to them and, 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 and my caring about them on a level that goes beyond them being my employee. Um, and so I look forward to all of us coming back, how slow or gradual that might be. I look forward to it. While you have the microphone, Leslie, I think you all were talking about this in the virtual green room a little bit, which is <laughs> if you have to decide which clients get to return, if you can only accept a limited number of families oh my God. Be open, how do you pick and choose? I don't want to have to pick and choose. That's hard. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to be the person that decides who can come and who doesn't come. Right now, you know, the governor has made that easy for me because he said I can only deal with people that are essential workers and I can only deal with first responders if you work in a grocery store or something like that. So he made that decision easy for me. But if I have to decide who is actually going to be coming back, to me, that would be like closing the door because I don't think that that would be something I'd be able to do. How about you, Tom? How are you thinking about it? You know, it's, it's as stressful on me as it is Leslie and on our teams. I, I will tell you, uh, our hope is, and this is uh, something about having the scale we have is a positive. Our hope is, is that we can find a place in a center, in a community. It may not be the exact one that 
this family was at on March the 13th, but it's close to their house or it's close to their work uh, and that we had uh, capacity at that center. So first step is, and we just had a conversation about this this morning, uh, and that was we need to be sure every center director, as we open up a state, every center director realizes that the worst thing you can say is I can't take you back. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is try to talk to the other center directors in your community, the other uh, centers that we have, and do your level best to bring that family back because you're you're slowing down the economy. You're 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 not supporting this family, which you have an emotional connection to and a relationship with that child uh, that's quite emotional for our team. So uh, like uh, like Leslie, it it is something that we think about a lot and and just hope we find a way to manage through it with the number of sites that we have. Yeah, it's, it's just it just feels so complicated. Related to that, Tom, we have a question from the audience about are there any written protocols out there that smaller child care centers could use as they think about opening? Well, if you're talking about the CDC protocols, uh, yes, there are. Uh, and they've done a phenomenal job. Go on their website. Uh, that's where we started. Uh, I will tell you that we, because of our size, we've actually worked closely with and have uh, friends at the CDC at this point, uh, and that we actually did uh, make a number of phone calls to to really flesh out what we need to do. I mean, as you know, in the beginning, we weren't asked to wear masks, and now we are. Things of that, I and mean, this has sort of evolved over time. So I would say to you, go on the CDC uh, website. There is a protocol for child care centers on that website, uh, and it's very well done. I'm, we're very proud to be associated with them. I'm getting this question, Leslie, and I can't tell if I'm getting it from child care operators or parents. Who wants to know? Maybe everybody wants to know. <laughs> How do you teach a child to socially distance? Um. First of all, I think just having communication with them. So here we had our kiddo who's, you know, he now he's wearing a mask. So he he's just now realized that people are sick. And so now that comes to us having this conversation and just role playing, I think, um, about different things and how we need to, you know, stay separated and different things like that, that we can't be on top of our friends. You know, our kiddos are used to, you know, the playing around and that whole, no matter what it is, if they're playing blocks, everybody's on top of each other and reaching over and passing through and different things like that. But now we have to really be cautious and careful enough to sit with kids and say those things that we used to do that we can't do them. And a lot of role play in doing that to help them understand that process is where we have to start. Definitely talking to them about it, but then showing them how we're going to be doing that as well uh, will help them. My coworkers who are a 14-year-old girl and two Labradoodles are really horrible at social distancing. So yeah. They're, they're really, they believe in the scrum form of family life, I have to say. Um, we're getting another question here, uh, Tom, that might be for you. Have you had an actual case of a child or a staff member getting sick or testing positive? And how did you handle it? What could we learn from that? Uh, we have. Uh, of the 94, I'll even be this upfront with you, uh, out of our 9,400 teachers, we have had 10 uh, contract COVA uh, 19. And in every single case, uh, we shut the center down for uh, 72 hours. We disaffected it. 
in in those cases, we obviously quarantined those that those individuals came into contact with, uh, and uh, and it's been it's been it's been manageable. Let me say it that way. It's been it's been manageable for us, uh, and I'm really quite proud that it's only been around ten. That uh, you know that changes every day, of course. But uh, out of the 9,400 teachers in these classrooms and staff, uh, we're pleased that it's been that minimal. Well, God bless them. I hope that they return to health quickly. I'm sure that you're learning what a lot of leaders are learning, which is you know that the trust and the communication style, and you know people have confidence when problems are treated quickly and, and communicated compassionately. And I'm sure you're on top of all of that. Um, one last question for each of you, which is, so this series is really, as I said in the beginning, about getting back to work um, safely and sustainably. We know that a job is so important to a family, it's so important to a community, but it's also directly correlated with health outcomes. And so as we get through one public health crisis. What we don't want to do is have an economic crisis that leads to even further poor health outcomes. So as the chamber works on helping our members get back to work safely, we're wondering what consumer sentiment really is, right? It's hard to tell from where we're sitting what consumers really want. And so we're getting questions from the audience and the staff is curious too. Do you find parents more concerned, and I'm sure when you drop your kid off at daycare, you're always concerned about health and safety. Do you find parents being more reluctant to come out right now, or is it the same as you've always seen, that they have trust and they ask some questions and they kind of get past it? So Leslie, I'll start with you, and then Tom, I'll give you the last word. Um, our parents have come in the same way they've always come in. So we've not seen them come in full of fear um, and worry because they know the type of job that we do and they know the type of care that we provide to their children and that they know that we are definitely taking all the precautions necessary in order to keep them and their child safe. So we've not had that as an issue. We still have our parents that stop at the door and we still have those long drawn out conversations and we laugh and talk like we normally do. And so things in that regard look so much like it used to prior to COVID-19. So we don't have, we've not seen that so much as an issue. That feels yeah. like good news for the economy. I'm sorry, Tom, please. No, forgive me, uh, Suzanne. I, I, I will tell you that Leslie uh, pretty much nailed it. That's the same as for us. The, the parents that are uh, utilizing our centers today, one, are relieved that they're even open, and two, uh, have just incredible trust for the center director and the teachers uh, that serve their families. And we have not had any issues there. Quite frankly, we were even concerned initially that asking a parent to stop at the door uh, and uh, give us their child and, and we would take them to the classroom may be difficult for them, but they actually appreciated it. They saw that we were responding yeah. to the threats that we had and, and taking them seriously. So I feel like at this point, the confidence level of our centers that are open and of our center directors who are managing those centers may be the highest it's ever been. Uh, now, I, I do believe, and this is just, just, just me talking, but I do believe there's going to be a number of families that when the state starts to reopen, uh, there's going to be families, uh, there are going to be uh, individuals within that family unit that are concerned about going back to work. 
that say, you know what, I found out I could work at home. Maybe I'll, I'll see if my employer will allow me to do that instead of going back to the office. Um, so I, I think the dynamics of the concern you're talking about, Suzanne, could probably play a role in, if you will, the uh, the unveiling of of a, of a state, so to speak. Uh, but you know, our our centers are are mostly connected to their families, as Leslie's are, and uh, they have a high degree of trust. Uh, uh, with us already. So we need to be sure that when we show up in that center that's just being opened uh, is practicing the right protocols and that the family sees that uh, and that we have the right staff uh, in each room to ensure that the children are behaving the way they should. So uh, just a lot more to come. Well, all of us as parents and employers should be lucky to have facilities like yours in uh, in our towns. I think both of you have just been exemplary model citizens in how you're thinking about the health and safety of your communities, of your workers, of your kiddos. Uh, I've truly enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we were together five minutes. So you can count on us to be pulling for childcare centers as a kind of, you know, underpinning of the entire economy and getting people back to work. So we're on your side. We appreciate what you're doing for all of us and really thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Suzanne. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Suzanne. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was great. And let me just say to the audience, we'll be back Thursday at three. We hope you will be. If you'd like to see this program, share it with someone or see previous installments, you can find them at uschamberfoundation.org. If you have questions or ideas for other programs, email us at foundation at uschamber.com. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Everybody stay safe and sane in these crazy times. Each week we bring you insights from the people who are thinking about ways to reopen the economy and get millions of Americans back to work in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Join us every Monday and Thursday for a new episode of Path Forward. You can learn more about the Chamber Foundation at uschamberfoundation.org.